Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Episode 105, The Lord on High. This podcast is supported by our amazing patrons, such as Luke, Cam and Stephen. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. Last time, we talked some more about the timeline that occurred after Ranginui and Papatuanuku were forced apart by their son, Tane Mahuta. We also discussed a bit about the makeup of the heavens and who lives there. A few times throughout that discussion, I mentioned a quote-unquote supreme god who lives in the uppermost heaven and has many of the lesser gods report to him, such as his main attendant, Rehua. If you're anything like me, very white, you probably didn't know there was a god above all others in the Māori pantheon. So, I'm here to tell you all about who this mysterious figure is, and why he might not be as old as you might think. The supreme god's name is Eeyore, and he is said to be formless. He is supposedly the one who created everything, existing before Tepor, but is not counted as being part of it. Some stories show Eeyore as being the ultimate ancestor, and was the start of two lines, the male line resulting in Rangi, and the female line resulting in Papa. So, in that version, Eeyore was part of the Whakapapa, and did have offspring, being the eventual ancestor of humans. A lot of what we know about Eeyore comes after Christianity was introduced to Aotearoa, when the tapu of talking about such things was lifted due to the changing culture, conversion, and the like. Though we don't know all that much, as many people were still secretive, and those that did talk to Europeans about this were still fairly apprehensive to do so, for a variety of reasons. According to Best, many of the Māori he interviewed to learn this information, quote, regretted having spoken, though we were excellent friends, end quote. To give you an idea of how important Eeyore potentially was, he had a lot of different names that he went by. This by itself wasn't unusual. Most of the major atua had a variety of names that they went by, depending on how they were being invoked in any given situation. What makes Eeyore's names interesting is that they profess his mana, tapu, and status at the top of the cosmic hierarchy such as being the greatest of all gods, Ionui, Io the everlasting or immortal, Ioroa, Io the parent of all things, Io Matua, and on the flip side, Io the parentless, Io Matua Tikore, since he is the beginning of all things and came from nothing. Io the source of all knowledge, Io Tewananga since he is the one who held the kete of knowledge and wanted to pass them into the world, if Tane would just come and get them. Io the enduring, Io takitaki. This references that everything he does, thinks, and governs are forever. They are complete, whole, and unable to be reversed. 
Io, the source of all things. Io te pukinga. He has thought up, reflected on, and has memory of everything he has created. Everything is his, and only he can dictate what is and what isn't. Io, the crown of the heavens. Io te toi o narangi, basically referencing that he lives in the uppermost heaven and that there are none above him. Io, the large or many-eyed. Io matanui, more or less saying that he is omnipotent. Io, the unseen. Io matanaro. He is not seen by anyone or anything unless he wishes it. But it could also reference that he is hard to comprehend as a formless, omnipotent being that controls all. Io, the light. Io ataho. Since the only thing that can be seen when he moves across the heavens is radiant light. Io, the possessor. Io tefifia. Possession of something is only done through his will. No one can possess anything else without his approval. Io, the tapu. Io urutapu. Since he is the most tapu of anything ever. What's interesting about Io is that he doesn't seem to have any direct interaction with the world. He doesn't deal out boons or punishments in the same way that the other gods do. He doesn't communicate with anyone. And in fact, the last time anyone spoke with him directly was when Tane went to get the three baskets. Though in saying that, his realm is inhabited not only by himself, but by twelve each of the Fatukura and Mairekura. The males are the messengers, and the females welcome the spirits of the dead when they enter the uppermost heaven. Although most spirits go to the underworld. Io is often seen as a moral and ethical god. That is to say, he is wholly good and not malevolent. But he didn't actually lay down any commandments or instructions on how to be good. Nor does he have a requirement that all people should be good. Eeyore's cult, who we'll talk about later, still encouraged everyone to be kind and honourable to those around them, since that's just a nice thing to do. But also, because being a good person was kinda a prerequisite for participation in their order. And Best comments that although Māori had no laws or anything like the Ten Commandments to guide them morally, the gods, tapu and religion in general seemed to fill that niche. However, Eeyore's gift of the kete of knowledge may contradict this somewhat since one of the baskets is said to have represented evil, or at least contained evil. Which doesn't really make sense for a benevolent god to give evil to the world. Though it seems to be interpreted as Eeyore giving humanity free will, and the option to choose evil if they so desire. All of what I've just told you is all well and good, But some of you may be thinking that Eeyore bears a striking resemblance in his concept, reverence, and general tone to the god of Abraham. If you thought that might be a bit suspect, you would be right, and it does warrant a closer look. 
I say the Abrahamic God rather than the Christian God, because Best does see parallels of Eeyore in the Jewish deity, since both the Jewish God and Eeyore don't have images made of them, and both Jews and Māori don't like saying the true name of their respective God. Though, I think this may be best misinterpreting a desire to not gush about Eeyore to an outsider as some sort of religious custom, when that's not really what was going on. Additionally, both of these gods are quite vague in who they are, what they are, and what they're capable of. Thankfully, unlike other writers, Best doesn't make an outright connection of Whakapapa between the Jewish people and Māori, which is good. Well, nearly. Best does say that Māori believe they inherited a sliver of divinity from Eeyore when humans were created, and that this is similar to the belief that Jesus was divine. Best posits that Māori may have developed this belief roughly at the same time as Jews were converting to Christianity, but, quote, they never advanced to monotheism, end quote. We'll talk a bit more in a minute about why that's a horrible thing to say. Interestingly, despite the similarities between Eeyore and the God of Abraham, Best says that even if everything kind of lines up to suggest that Māori had a god with heavy Christian influence, he was pretty sure that wasn't the case. By that I mean, Best thought Eeyore was a pre-European deity. He cites that Eeyore is known throughout the Pacific under different names, and therefore that means he came about before Europeans. Additionally, all the info we have about Eeyore and his cult show no sign of Christian influence, such as there are no similarities to scripture, or between Eeyore and the Christian god, which I think is a bit of a stretch. There are definitely similarities, doesn't take a genius to work that out, but there is every chance that Eeyore came about independently prior to the arrival of Europeans. The key here isn't in figuring out if the two Atua are similar. That's obvious. The hard part is figuring out whether Eeyore turned up in Māori culture before or after Christianity came to Aotearoa's shores. However, Best takes a slightly different stance than saying the two gods are totally separate, or that the Christian god was introduced to New Zealand by Europeans. Rather, that both are the same atua, just by different names. That is to say, that the Christian god made himself known in Aotearoa very early on, to create an independent religion that didn't revolve around Jesus. For my money, Elston's stance, of course, comes from a position of God definitely being real, meaning he is an entity capable of appearing in multiple places and starting many different religions. As such, the hypothesis that Best puts forward doesn't take into account how religions and myths anthropologically form in a culture. Meaning, if Eeyore was pre-European, then the likelihood that Māori were referring to the same entity as Christians is 
really pretty low. Best says, quote, There cannot be two supreme beings. Do we quarrel over a mere name? Christian priesthoods have murdered, with fiendish tortures, many thousands of people for worshipping God in a slightly different manner to that of the ruling priesthood. Has the Māori savage ever descended to such a level? End quote. As you can see, this also leans into this not-so-subtle subtext that Best has going on in his writing of Māori religion. He mentions that some Europeans believe monotheism is a higher form of civilization, saying that for a group to reach a quote-unquote high stage of culture, then they need to believe in a quote eternal, creative, and moral, or at least not immoral, being. End quote. And that if a society does believe in a singular moral god, then they are a culture worthy of praise and admiration. Best actually rejects this idea, seeming to imply that cultures of lower status, e.g. savages or barbarians, can still believe in a good, moral and ethical god like Eeyore, but still ultimately be degenerate. To me, this seems like he is trying to fit his observations into a given narrative. Namely, that Māori are savages, and that even if he sees evidence to say that they have culture and civilization, that he needs to weave a story about how actually brown people are still terrible. It should go without saying that I do not agree with these views. Best also talks about how religions influence each other, that the Christian concept of the Trinity was taken from ancient Egypt, and that Catholicism is basically polytheistic, with all of the saints acting as minor gods. In the same vein, Best makes a few remarks on how there seems to be this interesting cross of polytheism and monotheism in Māori culture. The former practiced by the majority of people, and the latter by the high-ranking cult. Though the cult of Eeyore weren't exactly monotheistic, Best alleges that it was a stepping stone to monotheism, alluding to that theme of monotheism being a marker of civilization and progress. This leads into another bit of subtext that Best has, in which he basically claims the degeneracy of Western civilization. He sees Eeyore to be a refined idea, only considered by the highest intellects of Māori. By that he means Eeyore is thought to be all good, and would not associate with something evil, like war. And as such, Māori appeal to lesser gods for that. By extension, he saw a sort of pollution of the Christian god, as he was invoked as a war god by both Māori and Europeans, war being a base and undesirable thing to be associated with. Additionally, he says that Eeyore hasn't been corrupted like the Christian god because the quote-unquote lower minds of the wider public aren't able to know him and are able to be distracted by quote-unquote inferior gods. Thus, they aren't able to pollute his image with other ideas that maybe he isn't as pure as he seems. Getting off of Elston's weird tangent, 
What is the answer to the question of, is EO a pre- or post-European entity? Well, we can't answer that for certain. A couple hundred years of colonisation does muddy the waters quite a lot. But here is some of what we do know. Eeyore first appeared in European written records in the 1913 book The Law of the Fariwananga, which is where a lot of the information we have on Māori religion comes from. A.W. Reed, who was writing a bit later than that, explicitly states that Eeyore was a result of the influence of Christianity. Even renowned Māori scholar Tarangi Hiroa said, quote, The discovery of a supreme god named Eeyore in New Zealand was a surprise to Māori and Pākehā alike, end quote. Hiroa did some more digging and concluded that the idea of Eeyore originated from Ngāti Kahununu specifically, and from there was spread to other iwi. He suspected that there was some influence from Christianity that resulted in Eeyore, though he wasn't sure if this was done consciously or not. Another piece of evidence is the fact that there was a higher form of secret knowledge, sometimes called kowairunga, the upper jaw, the knowledge known only to those in the farewānanga, complex rituals, the nature of the universe, and things like that. This could indicate that Eeyore was pre-European, since not everyone would know about him, unlike the more widely known knowledge, the kowairaro, lower jaw, which would be about tipuna, various simple karakia, and so on. According to the history website Tiara, Eeyore was, quote, an accepted part of Ngāti Kahununu and Ngāpuhi traditions, end quote. Which could lend credence either way, given Hiroa's findings showing it was post-European, or it could be that the pre-European concept of Eeyore was limited to the east coast of the North Island, and never made it to other iwi. Which... I think is unlikely, since it's not like those iwi were isolated from the rest of the motu. Additionally, the initial number of Rangi and Papa's offspring was fairly small, but was allegedly later increased to 70, who then reproduced to create the denizens of the heavens, perhaps to help fit everything into the newer cosmic narrative. So, overall, there is a bit of a debate as to when these stories appeared, but the scholarly consensus does seem to lean towards that Eeyore is a post-European concept, which would explain why he doesn't fit as neatly into the pantheon as the others. However, I should stress that it is possible that the general public doesn't know a lot of information about Eeyore due to Tohunga wanting to keep that information to themselves. And there could be a piece of evidence out there that more definitively indicates that Eeyore is a pre-European god. It is something we will likely never know. And that's okay. Some things just aren't meant for the rest of us. And we need to accept that. To follow on from that, who were these people who held this knowledge? 
As I've mentioned a few times, there was a group of people in the whare wānanga who held all this information about Eeyore, the nature of the universe, and all that. It's possible that this group was a high-ranked subset of the people admitted to the whare wānanga, but that isn't very clear. It could have been everyone admitted, or perhaps a group that was entirely separate. We will refer to them to the same name that Europeans did when discussing them in their writings. The Cult of Eeyore. It's highly unlikely that that's how these people referred to or viewed themselves, but just for our purposes to distinguish the people who kept this kaupapa, that's what we'll call them. Those within the Cult of Eeyore tended to have very similar practices and beliefs across the country. This makes sense, as they were an exclusive, secretive group who only passed on their knowledge to those within their circle. They had much more control over what did and did not get passed on, and how it was passed on, which gave for a more uniform institution. A person in the cult in Tafanganui Atara would be able to get pretty easily involved in the practices and karakia in Taumaki Makado, for example. Think how every Catholic mass has almost exactly the same structure, and no matter where you are in the world, it's going to be nearly the same. Or maybe think how Macca's has the same menu all over the globe, so you always know what you're gonna get. Same difference. Best talks a lot about, quote, higher forms of learning, end quote, or what he sometimes calls first, second, or third class thought. Basically, he means the different levels of what people would know and how close they were to the most inner circle of the cult of Eeyore and the Farewananga. People who were in the inner circle, priests, tohunga, or wise people, would know detailed stories about various things, such as the creation of the world and the gods. Whereas the second and third class wouldn't know as much about those stories, or in many cases, their stories would differ entirely. The cult is the closest thing Māori had to a unified religion, Most other tohunga who contacted the Big Six had all sorts of karakia, rituals, rules, and tapu that they followed, and basically none of it was consistent from iwi to iwi. Again, this makes a lot of sense, since it wasn't as tightly regulated, and everyone has a slightly different relationship with the tangible forest or the sea, as opposed to the intangible creator of all things. The main exception to this was when to perform certain rites or acknowledge certain gods, in the case of planting, harvesting, and things like that. These were regularly occurring at basically the same time every year. You couldn't really plant in winter, so the gap in religious practices for major annual events was a bit smaller. Other regular religious events were births, deaths, exhumation, weddings, war, marae building, and coming of age. Though Best calls it baptism, but it wasn't. 
Tohunga, of course, is any skilled person, not just a priest. So that can be craftspeople, artisans, and many, many other professions. Each has a slightly different name. Like, an expert waka builder is a tohunga tarai, and an expert tattooer is a tohunga tāmoko. Of course, what you might call priests were also tohunga, and had their own ranking system, with tohunga ahurewa, that's the cult of Eeyore guys, at the top, and tohunga makatu, which were like wizards and warlocks, closer to the bottom. There were also junior priests in training, instructors, and astronomical experts. Priestly tohunga were important for many different reasons, since humanity's connection to the gods was extremely important. They could act as doctors, had a key role to play in warfare, and were considered central in activities like agriculture, sea voyages, and basically every occupation that Māori had, since every aspect of Māori life required the approval and acceptance of the gods, if not to bring them good fortune, but to ensure they didn't actively piss them off, lest the gods work against them. Especially if you were working under a particular god for a task. For example, fishing would be under Tangaroa. Some women were tohunga, but this was fairly rare, and they weren't allowed to practice the more tapu stuff, other than in the capacity of cancelling it out, given they were noa, such as rendering a newly built farewhakairo noa by being the first person to walk across the threshold. Women were also involved in re-establishing the connection between a man and the gods, if an atua had revoked their protection on someone. To have the gods looking the other way was super bad, because it left them vulnerable to not just natural misfortune, but also supernatural attacks. One such ceremony was to have women step over a man who was lying down. As mentioned, the priests of the cult were called Tonga Ahurewa, and although there wasn't a specific temple that Māori built to Io, or in fact any gods, unless you count Marae as ancestors, the Farewananga was where the rituals and ceremonies to Io occurred. We aren't sure how many people outside the cult knew about Io, or even knew his name, but we do know that most people weren't privy to what the cult knew. The only people outside that had a basic knowledge of the rituals and secrets of the cult were those of high rank, so that's your rangatira and ariki, who were sometimes invited to be involved in ceremonies. These ceremonies were generally fairly important things, from births, tangihanga, or even opening of a farewananga. Firstborn males of noble families were often dedicated to io, with the idea that he would protect them, their mana, their tapu, and their wairua. Next time, now that we have covered the upper echelons of the pantheon, we're going to discuss the lower ranks of gods, who were weaker, but far more numerous. We'll also talk a bit about how Māori interacted with these gods at a practical level. 
If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can find my email and social media on historyaotearoa.com. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. You can also find helpful resources there, like transcripts, sources, and translations for some of the te reo Māori we have used. You can help support Hans through Patreon, buying merch, or giving us a review. It means a lot and helps spread the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, hari tu atu, hoki tu mai. See you next time.